There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your settings. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Welcome to Sci-Fi Talk on the Fangirl Zone, a podcast where we discuss shows on the Sci-Fi Channel. I am Sean fangirl And I'm Steve, and today we'll be discussing episode one of season one of The Ark. Okay, so just throwing this out, I wasn't quite sure what to expect because there's been several shows similar to this in our past, especially in sci-fi. I enjoyed this first episode. I'm not sure if I enjoyed it because there was people that I hated right away or what. Yeah, this is going to be (laughs) a space murder mystery, I believe. (laughs) That's what it's feeling like. That's definitely what it's feeling like. So I know we're going to get into a lot, blending a little bit here and there, but what was your first impression when you seen the preview of this and then after you watched the first episode well i was pretty excited seeing the um this preview of it that's for sure and after watching the first episode yeah i'm i'm all in because this is it's non-stop and a lot of drama and a lot to figure out i know i tweeted at dean devlin at the end of the episode with so many questions <laughs> Dean is an amazing showrunner. Yes, Dean is. Yes. And we've talked to him in the past, and he's the nicest guy in the world, too, that I've met now. You might have a different opinion. I, like I said, think he's, like, super nice, especially when he's talking to us as small press. Right. He's great. And the fact that he answers us with our questions, it's like, oh, my gosh. But he never gives anything away. So at the same time, it's like, (laughs) ah, you're so frustrating. Give me something. But. I wasn't sure, like I said, because there's been so many shows similar, like Earth 2 going back a ways. Right. It's like, oh, what are we going to have? But, and, you know, Battlestar Galactica and the reboot. And there was just a lot. But this had a a nice twist, almost Shyamalan twist in the beginning. Right. So I'm interested to see how things are playing out. The more I thought about it after the first episode, I kind of related it more to Stargate Universe, where you don't know who's who, who to trust, who the bad guys are. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that, because there's definitely a lot of people that I was like, oh, I hate so many this episode. Yes, there were. (laughs) um, I'm waiting to see. And then there's a few that I liked right away, and we'll get to that. Yeah, that's my thoughts right away. So how about we jump in to see what everybody else may have thought? All right. Our ratings for episode one was a 0.08 in adults 18 to 49 with 0.578 million viewers. And I am absolutely sure that number will jump up next week because Twitter was a flutter with how awesome they (laughs) loved this show. And there was quite a few people that didn't see it aired live, but caught it on the streamers following days and they loved it as well. So. I, I was one of those people. Go up. Yes, I didn't see it live. I can't even remember what we were doing. I think we were trying to finish 
catching up on some other series. My husband and I have different schedules. We do what we do. (laughs) Uh, And then didn't you say there was a ton of the cast actually on Twitter tweeting with everyone? Oh, yes. Almost the entire cast, it seemed like they were on Twitter. That's pretty impressive because I think the only other show that we've really had that much interaction with was The Magician. Right. Because usually it's like one or two of them and the magicians, it was almost every episode had the full cast on. So if they're doing that with with this one, I think that's pretty impressive. And I feel like that means they're all 100 percent in and want this one to be like, hey, check it out. This is pretty good. All right. The arc takes place 100 years in the future when planetary colonization missions have begun as a necessity to help secure the survival of the human race. First of these missions on a spacecraft known as Arc-1 encounters a catastrophic event causing massive destruction and loss of life. With more than a year left to go before reaching their target planet, a lack of life-sustaining supplies and loss of leadership, the remaining crew must become the best versions of themselves to stay on course and survive. The series stars include Christine Burke as Lieutenant Sharon Garnett, She's appeared in Made miniseries, The Haunting of Bly Manor miniseries, and The Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn Part 2. We also have Richard Fleshman as Lieutenant James Bryce. He's appeared in Call of the Midwife, The Sandman, and Midsummer Murder. Wait, he was in Sandman? Yep. I do not recognize him. You know what? Some And the same with the other one from Haunting of Bly Manor. Right. Sometimes, like, they just tweak the look just a tiny bit, and it's like, wait, who? Now I have to go back and look. We have Reese Ritchie, who plays Lieutenant Spencer Lane. He's appeared in The Lovely Bones, Hercules, Prince of Persia, and 10,000 BC. We have Stacy Reed as Alicia Nevins. She's appeared in Anini and Zim High. And Ryan Adams plays Angus Medford. He's appeared in Orange Pill and Asking Price. As we mentioned previously, Dean Devlin, who did Independence Day, Stargate, Godzilla, and the Librarians, and Jonathan Glasner. Stargate SG-1, The Outer Limits, and Covert Affairs are co-showrunners and executive producers alongside Mark Roskin and Rachel Olschan Wilson of Electric Entertainment, Jonathan English of Balkanic Media, and Steve Leave serve as producers. That's a lot of people with yes. a lot of a lot of talent behind them. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm definitely excited to see what's coming. It should be a great ride. And one of our other co-hosts, which if you listen to several episodes on the Fangirl Zone, you know our interdimensional Dave. He was reaching out, I believe, to Dean Devlin. And yes, he was. He was getting replies. Like I said, Dean replies to almost everyone when they send him something. And pretty excited to see everything that's coming down the pipe. I mean, he really messed with us with like emotionally with some yeah. of the librarians. Maybe not quite as much as a certain Doctor Who showrunner, but still, right. you know, <laughs> we still love it. And I'm so excited about this. now. The episode one title, Everyone Wanted to Be on This Ship. I was like, for some reason, I was just thinking of that old Tears for Fear song, Everyone Wants to Rule the World. I don't know why those two like connected in my head, but they did. Maybe I'm weird. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. There may be something to that. 
it'd be better if they threw in some music here and there because it was very suspenseful and there was like no music. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah. Because so often the only reason that we feel suspense is because of the way the music's hitting and like affecting us. But like the silence, I think, was almost worse. Yeah. So we start with the after suffering a disaster understatement, by the way. The remaining crew of Spaceship Arc 1 must band together to survive. Again, understatement. Sci-fi, if you have not listened to some of our previous sci-fi talk, sci-fi seems to like to troll us with these really vague descriptions of what this show is. Absolutely, they do. They mess with us so much. And I think whoever writes it just loves doing that, going, let's see, what can I tell them, but not tell them. Yeah. So we start with, like right away, we jumped in to Disaster Strike because we opened with Arc 1 and a screen that bears the word impact warning. And then we see a light of cryopods on the ship that we figure out what's happening then. But they begin to shake and a beam falls from the ceiling and crashes into one of the pods, knocking Lieutenant Sharon Garnett out of cryostasis, which I'm like, okay, she didn't have any cuts, though, from the glass. Right. As she gets out, she falls right over. Well, we don't know how long they've been in cryo at this point. Right. So she engages her compression suit and notices the hull breach and moves to wake everyone in the crypto pot. And it was weird because when she starts like waking them up, you see the lights come on and it's going down like a pretty long way. Right. So as many people were in there and the one door they're going out, I'm still a little confused how all of them got out of there. Right. But we'll get to that. TV magic, I guess. But Garnett informs Lieutenant Spencer Lane, who she woke up and it's like, get up. Everything's going crazy. He's like, you need or she's like, you need to help me clear the area. And everyone's fleeing the scene and they get into, I guess, like almost a staging area. Right. And the ceiling caves in and another beam. And, well, we see a woman who was in a cryopod that one guy was trying to get out. And that pod was Commander Susan Ingram. She didn't make it. Spoiler alert. Yeah. I'm assuming everybody has watched at this point because why are you listening to our recap? Yeah. (laughs) Baylor Trent rushes to her side and he was the one trying to get her out, but obviously couldn't. And it was very tense because you see everybody like running and Garnett has to lead him away after she grabbed a helmet for him. Right. Because they were about to have no oxygen. Yeah. So they get into the little staging area where the remainder of the crew is, and they're activating their compression suits with the helmets because there's no air right now, which obviously they didn't need any. You know, why waste it, right? Yep. Everyone starts floating then, which I thought was a really awesome visual effect. Yes, it was. Because the, I guess, artificial gravity was knocked offline. Which I thought was interesting that they would even have that on when they were traveling if nobody was awake. Right. But, all right, side note, maybe it was better to have all of your stuff staying in one place. Pretty much turning off. Yeah. Yeah. But after we get Baylor out of harm's way, Garnett locks the cryopod bay as he's pretty upset about that, of course. And we see it succumb to the outside forces of the debris and all of it flies off into space again okay, not something that we wanted to be inside. Got it. Right. (laughs) Garnett spots an obstruction in the external wheel that helps the ship move into space. And apparently at the same time, that seemed to be what was helping with the gravity. She releases the obstruction by basically whamming it out of the way. Right. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. 
Yeah, because she has the wheel kind of like back up and then spin and boop, off it goes. I guess that's one way to do it. Kind of like a twig and a spoke. Yep. But as the wheel starts spinning, we activate gravity again. And finally, we see Garnett engages the ship's life support so everyone can breathe again without wearing the helmet. Well, that was a really rough cold open if there has ever been one. Yes. Because <laughs> that was, what, the first five minutes. Yep. Like I said, nothing like getting you all pulled in and like, oh, we're not even having an intro. Okay. Right. Yeah. And I'm not 100% sure when we saw that impact warning, if that was really real or not. That oh, may have been programmed into the computer to display that, to make it think that there was an impact warning. You know what? The, just the fact that you say that, and I, and again, we're going to get through a lot of this and understand some of it. I feel like that could definitely be a thing, like sabotaging. Yes, but, absolutely. But then later, when the one guy says how much, the reason that they did this and how much time is left, I'm like, that doesn't make a lot of sense, though. Right. But. Yeah, it's so weird. There's so many like little pieces kind of like scattered about. It's like, is it going to fall into place? So I guess we'll have to wait and see with that. Yeah. So let's get back. We have Garnet and Lane who decide to inform the commanders in the other cryo bay. Although the one does not want to tell anybody and he's like pouting. Right. I'm not going to tell her. It's like, dude, really? Yeah. <laughs> did, did you not see like your whole bay fly away? But unfortunately, the impact arc one received knocked that bay off of the ship. It's gone. Thus, there's no one charged. No senior staff at all. Dr. Sanjvani Kabir tends to the crew post terrifying structural catastrophe. I'm kind of wondering now, too, was that debris that was stuck in the wheel, the other pod? It's possible. Like, And then like, if she thinks too hard about it, she's going to have a breakdown because she's the one who knocked him out. Could be. Just say it. Anyway, uh, don't know for sure if it had been damaged prior to getting getting stuck in the wheel. But yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if that was the cryopod with all the command in it. But it's also weird. Okay, so this is something that was kind of a pet peeve of mine. I understand you're doing like the least amount of things inside, but why do you actually have them just hanging out on the outside of the ship? Right. Like that just doesn't seem like the best idea right we have our astronauts go up in the spaceship they're not hanging out outside the ship in like a little bubble they're like inside with all of the stuff around them to keep them safe i feel like it should have been similar but it is mentioned later that there's several arcs and we don't know how many there are so maybe it was a resource thing i don't know it seems right. weird though well and and we do find out later on that yeah some of the uh programming took shortcuts so yeah i kind of think that this this was the minimum to get done to get it out get it done quickly not correctly right well we see the doctor assisting angus medford who works in agriculture when he struggles to walk after sleeping in the pod for five years he was told hey sit on the table take off your compression suit apparently the kid doesn't listen to directions because he started to take it off and down he goes yeah <laughs> Now, in order, man, in order. We have Garnet visit the med bay while hunting for Lieutenant James Bryce. And she spots Bryce soaking in a tub of ice water. I don't know. I feel like warm water would have done better. But, you know, I'm not a doctor. Right. I don't know. If you're you're kind of have atrophy. I don't know. What right. You're trying to get your muscles back to 
working <laughs> again. So yeah, you freeze them and that kind of tightens them up. Okay, that makes sense. So since he's the highest ranking officer along with Garnett and Lane, he's needed to help lead. After he dresses, he meets Garnett, who informs him the commanders are all dead. Dun, dun, dun. Then Eva Markovic charges the helmet. We see her in there refilling the air in all of them. But she does ask for help. And we have one man who was at that point, you know, we didn't know who he was. He's right. like, that's under my pay grade. Get somebody else to help you. It's like, really? Yeah. Is it going to be under your pay grade if you don't have oxygen in your helmet? Just saying. Harris Beckner then sneaks into the room with her, even though nobody's supposed to see them together. And that makes me wonder who they are to each other. Right. Exactly. I mean, I'm assuming they're dating involved somehow. I have to think that way. And then when she says that she lied to get him on her team, it's like, interesting. You have an unqualified person on there. Hopefully he knows how to do something that will be helpful, right? Right. And apparently there's some couple rule that they can't voyage together on the same arc. That kind of doesn't make sense to me either. Right. Because, I mean, wouldn't you want people to be together, especially if you're going to be, I mean, I, I can imagine not having. Repopulating a new pan- yeah. planet. Absolutely. Like, I can see not having, like, an entire family worth of people. Right. But, yeah, I mean, you want people to be like, okay, this is going to be okay. I can I can do the do with this. <laughs> <laughs> but we hear a message come over the comms ordering everyone to meet in the mess hall, interrupting Eve and Harris's secret kiss. Next, Angus meets Alicia Nevins, a sweet and loquacious young woman specializing in waste management, who gets super excited with everything and doesn't seem to know when to stop talking. Right. I feel you. I feel you there. Garnet, Lane, and Bryce bring up to the crew everything that's going on regarding their situation. Something struck their ship. They lost cryo bays. Commanders and high-ranking officers are all dead, including the teachers. What was it? Teachers, engineers, electricians. I'm like, wait, 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 what? Yeah, some of them, yeah. Why would you put them all in the same one? Right. Like, you spread it out. Yep. Doesn't make sense. But they also lost quite a bit of storage space, including most of their food supply and have limited water at their disposal. Although, at the same time, they didn't have a lot of food supply for when they actually woke up on the ship because they weren't supposed to wake up until they were about two weeks out. Right. So that's bad. Yeah. And we're told, okay, everything's going to be rationed, including water. And that means no showers. And you know somebody's going to be like, oh, I'm taking a shower. It's like, you just wasted like three days worth of water for eight people or something. Like, you get nothing. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, they're a year away from arriving at the planet. They're meant to colonize with only enough food for six weeks. At best. Yeah. And that's only because there's a lot less of them than there should have been. Right. So in short, this shit has hit the fan for real. Yeah. (laughs) Would you like to talk about what comes next and and the inspiration that is following? Yes. (laughs) Making the best out of a bad situation, or at least trying to. Garnett delivers an inspiring speech to raise morale. It doesn't really work too well. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think in that situation, it would be better, like, doing what she did. Right. Giving oh, the actual information. Yeah. Why lie? Their superiors have trained them to terraform an alien planet to save humankind. They've got this. Now, of course, our first, mm, I'm not so sure about this guy, is Lane, and he's not a fan of Garnett taking charge. I think ju- I hated him the whole episode. <laughs> yes. 
he was always questioning Garnett's decision-making. At the funeral service for the fallen, Jasper Dades asked Baylor about his relationship with Susan Ingram and why a commander was in the cryo bay with the plebeians. Angered, Baylor storms off. Hey, I don't know why they were all in one, like I said. So if at least one was in the other one, they were able to save her. That would have been a good idea. Yeah. Now, Bryce commends Garnett for her motivating speech the night before. Like Lane, he seems to take issue with Garnett declaring herself captain. Garnett reminds him that she's the only one who stepped up to the plate. Now, we see Angus chasing after Garnett with the request, a potentially life-saving one at that. Now, we see Jasper receives his meal in the mess hall, which looks like a square chip. And he had an attitude from the Oh, yes, he did. Everyone will get two 500-calorie chips per day, along with their water rations. Yeah, that water ration looked like a shot, basically. Like, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Water. Meanwhile, Angus shows Garnett something in the storage bag. He brought a container full of soil, an unauthorized item to be sure, but one that will change the game on the food front. I love that because Garnett's like, you know, you don't have to come clean and tell me that you smuggled something on. Right. it's like, immediately when he said that, I'm like, oh my God. And it's like, you're not catching up. Right. Think, think, lady. Garnett claims they have enough power and light to cultivate a farm in the storage bay where Angus can grow produce. Now we see Cat Brandis sneaking into the woman's locker room to shower despite Garnett's explicit instructions not to use the water for bathing. And yeah, Felix like Strickland. I, said, I guess you don't need any water than to drink, lady. No. The head of security catches Cat in the shower. And I think he was. He didn't catch her. He was in there all along. I think he was yes. just hanging out in there waiting because he was like us. Knew somebody was going to be dumb enough to do it. Well, not just that. If you notice, after everything's said and done and they start to walk out, there is one shower head that w- had a drip coming out of it. Right. I'm wondering if he did it. Yeah. Now, she tries to seduce him for the water, but he's not having any of it. Alicia finds Angus in the thick of setting up his eco farm. And she's excited by the prospect of eating fresh produce. However, they're currently redirecting a good portion of the ship's power to fuel the light sources needed to sustain the farm. Angus asks Alicia for necessary product. (laughs) Um, Yeah, excrement for fertilizer. Yeah, I love it. She's like, yeah, I work in sewage. And she's like, not, again, not clicking. And then like, ew, ew. And we see Baylor watching an old video from his family while Lane encourages Baylor that this opportunity to bring life to an extraterrestrial planet is what they make of it. And then suddenly the lights shut off. Because we didn't have enough happen in the very beginning. Right. We got to have have more stuff happening. Yes. We barely get five minutes to breathe and there's another disaster to take care of. Right. Now, I do want to say, though, like, again, I was feeling, I think it's Lane. Yeah. That he being a jerk when he like was talking to Baylor. Oh, we have to take things that we want. And I'm like, no, no, dude, what is wrong with you? Yeah. That is not what you talk about. No. He's military all the way. That's like, oh God, this is going to be bad. This is going to be really bad. Yeah. And especially because it leads to basically a power struggle. Yep. Because Lane heads to the storage bay where he confronts Garnet. Because according to him, she has no right to make this kind of call without talking to everybody else. Where... I can see both sides of that. True. I mean, redirecting power, moving cargo from the storage bay into other you know, parts of the ship and implementing a farm might not yield anything. 
But moving all the power and then using some water, which of course is precious right now, we either have it to survive then because we have it actually producing or we just wasted a bunch. Right. So it's like, oh, so definitely can see both sides. But you have to try at this point, don't you? Yes. Otherwise, you're going to starve. But Lane believes that the decision must be vetted through all three lieutenants. Well, you know what? It's not just the three of you. I think it needs to go to a council. And that's what they do. They form a council, including Dr. Kabir, Eva, who works in engineering, Felix, Lane, Bryce, and Garnett. So we have a nice rounded kind of crew, I guess, there for the council. Right. Very Star Trek senior staffish. Yes. Naturally, Lane is outvoted as far as growing produce is concerned because people want to eat and survive. Right. Later, Baylor visits the doctor for a physical. He reveals he's having some trouble breathing. And we're thinking probably the same as everybody else. Like, oh, you know, you've been in these pods for a while. It's just taking a while for your body to catch up. Right. Except. No, somehow he was like super sensitive to what's happening because next thing we know, we hear an alarm blare and the message life support warning, oxygen depletion alert. Lovely. Oh, crap. <laughs> like that was me going, what? oh my God, seriously, this is all in the first few hours. Yes. That would explain the breathing thing. Dr. Kabir hands him a mask while she leaves to grab some helmets for them. Why would you not have some in sick bay? Yeah. I feel like that would make sense. Yeah. Meanwhile, Ava, Harris, and the engineering team also activate their compression suits and make a beeline for their helmets. Unfortunately, the door closes behind Eva when she scoops up a helmet, separating her from the rest of her crew. The door to the medbay also separates Baylor from Dr. Kabir as the ship goes into lockdown. This is not good. No. On the bridge, Garnett, Bryce, and Lane attempt to run diagnostics to ascertain the problem. However, diagnostics is malfunctioning, like everything else on the ship. Again, shortcut did not work out so well. Right. Or trio, it was intentional sabotage. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. I'm like, the more you say that, the more I'm looking going, who am I pointing a finger at? Yeah. I think we'll see a uh, prime suspect in the next episode. I'm starting to just think everybody's doing it. Who knows? Yes. <laughs> just about. The trio attempt to find someone who can remedy the diagnostic and life support issues. Uh, Bryce yells very Scottishly. I did love it. It's like, oh my I'm gosh. I'm the navigator. You're so Scottish. Baylor finds an oxygen tank inside the med bay in the surgery area. And then he finds several more and starts to grab them all. I'm like, why are you grabbing all of them? Right. Well, he don't know, doesn't know who might need it if, if he gets out of the med bay. <laughs> Ava explains to Harris that the helmets on that side aren't charged yet, but the ones on mine are. And he starts checking. She's like, I didn't get to him because everything happened. Yeah, we don't have enough char- enough oxygen to charge them all. I was like, oh, no. Why isn't that just like you put them back where they're supposed to go and they charge? Right. Garnet and her co-leaders discover that Jasper Dates can fix the life support system. But he seems to be MIA. She calls out for him. And trying to stay MIA. Yeah. Especially once he hears the page over the intercom. Yeah, I'm like. What is going on? What did he yeah. do? Because right then I'm thinking, oh, he did this. Yeah. Lane and a few of the other crew members conduct a shipwide search to pinpoint any technical anomalies while at the same time trying to find Jasper. Well, he's hiding really well. However, Felix does find him and he plays it off like, oh, my helmet isn't working. Yeah, I can't hear anything. Yeah. Baylor. Right. right. Baylor, though, wearing the oxygen mask. Very smart. 
tweaks the locking mechanism on the door and manages to get out of medbay. But, and this is what had me worried, he took a bunch of those O2 tanks and stored them in like a little cubby. Right. Why are you hiding them somewhere? Yes, you shouldn't be. <laughs> no. And all I kept thinking was, oh, you take what you want. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. We see one of Eva's crew members collapse. So Harris removes his helmet to save the teammate, much to Eva's dismay, which, again, I understand. But if the helmets were minimally charged, how did none of the other ones have any oxygen? Right. Like for him to just keep changing them out, even if it's like 20 minutes on this one, 10 minutes on this one. I feel like keep switching them out. Yep. But she urges him to conserve as much air as possible by not talking. Small breath. Yeah, small breath. I don't know about you, but I suddenly started taking really deep breaths at that moment. Yes. (laughs) Then we have Felix bring Jasper to the bridge and he's pretending his helmet is malfunctioning so he can't hear until somebody pulls his helmet off him and shoves another one on. I would have been like, can you hear me now with the helmet off? Right. (laughs) Like, okay, okay. But then he's still trying to play it off. He's like, oh, that's beneath my pay grade. Get somebody else. It's like, sit your happy ass down and fix this. Yes. (laughs) But apparently Jasper Dade's created the diagnostic system, so he should be able to fix it, right? That's what you would think. Baylor and Dr. Kaber reunite and head to Eva's location while Jasper makes a go at remedying the situation. Then he blurts out that his name is Malcolm Perry, not Jasper Dade. He snuck his way onto the Ark and replaced real papers, persuading Ladder to, well, guess what? You're put on a different ship. And apparently he just did it. Okay, no questions asked. And apparently there's a lot more to this, which I found interesting. So people are hacking all sorts of ways. So guess who's going to get locked up? Yeah. Somehow I don't feel like they were prepared to have any kind of brig, though. No, because they stuck him in a storage closet. That was toilet. Yeah. (laughs) Harris, breathless, tells Eva that he loves her. This sounds an awful lot like goodbye. And again, try all of the other helmets. Yes. Two minutes of air or something. But Harris falls unconscious. Meanwhile, Alicia and a few others arrive to the bridge to potentially solve the issue. Anybody who had any coding, it's like, oh, okay, three people on the entire ship. Right. Well, hey, well, we're going to try something. But Alicia reveals the diagnostic is stuck in a barstow loop, which I thought was interesting that she just noticed it do its little, like, run up to 7% and stop. Yeah. And then she starts nervously talking. But she's successful, and she managed to navigate the system out of the loop and runs a diagnostic without any problems. Garnett orders Lane to head outside to fix the problem, which apparently he was way ahead of. Yes. Which, good. He was on his way to try to fix whatever. And we see a breach, which Lane is able to seal up quickly by, what did he do? It's like, did you just, like, twist the valve? What? It looked that way to me. looked like, like he pulled a lever tape. and that stopped it. Get some duct tape. It's fine. Yeah. Why are all these things always on the outside of the ship, too? Right. Yes. <laughs> like, maybe things need to be inside. But thankfully, the life support returns at 100%, along with the ship's oxygen stores. and. We do see later in the med bay all the patients needing Dr. Caber's medical magic, even though we don't have quite Star Trek level medical. No. But we see her tending to Harris while Eva watches. Unfortunately, Harris died. I was surprised at killing somebody off all like super fast like that. Yes. I mean, they killed off a whole bunch of people that we didn't see. Well, we seen one face. But right. I'm like, wow, we're not playing around with this. No, we aren't. <laughs> And back on the bridge, Garnett and Bryce decide, well, hey, 
you're doing pretty well. We're promoting Alicia through Chief of Life Support, who, by the way, has four different degrees. Yes. At what did she say? Nineteen. Did she get them? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, and two of them are masters. I thought four of them were masters. Yeah, they could be. (laughs) It's like what the heck? Yeah. And she was working in sewage maintenance, which I feel like. Okay, great. She should have at least been a backup, like where they would have had her as a backup to learn all these other things. Right. Hey, you go where you're needed to get onto uh, the ship, but yeah, at least be a backup. Yeah, you go where they you, because, yeah, she put in for a whole lot of different positions and just didn't get them. I also wonder, because she's so excitable, I guess is the word I want to use. Right, yeah. If she wasn't, well, I mean, if that could have done it, or if she wasn't putting in for the job that she had degrees with, like, she's like, oh, I want to go do this because it sounds interesting. It's like, okay, but you have degrees in all of this stuff. Right. I don't know, like an understudy or something is what she should have been. But we go back and we see Garnett visiting Malcolm, who's locked in some kind of closet, and she reveals the tribunal will decide how to punish him. And she's pushing for the death penalty since he impersonated a much needed crew member. And then he tries to like, I don't know, con talker. Yep. Because it explains everyone wanted to be on the ship. So there's undoubtedly more than a handful of stowaways and people who made their way on. Well, one of them's already dead. Right. Malcolm unearths a memory from a pub in Jacksonville, Florida to save his skin. He described what sounds like Garnett, except the woman's name is Denise. The woman killed a man in a bar fight. See, I was wondering if Garnett had killed the woman and took her identity. But if it's a guy, I mean, I don't know. Now I'm like, wait, who's who? Yes, absolutely. You have no idea if these people are really who they say they are. Right. And Malcolm not so subtly threatens to disclose what he saw that night. But Garnett shuts the door. And I'm thinking... Okay, you're going to say anything anyway to save your skin, so would they believe you? Right. Because she says, wait, the DNA, because I guess everybody had to give DNA samples. He's like, that could be hacked, too. But she didn't seem to think that it could. Right. Wasn't aware of it, at least. So after that was said, I'm like, okay, so maybe she didn't take the person's identity, but she lied about her path. Doesn't matter at this point. They can't get any signals back to Earth. So Right. All she has to do is be like, nah, that wasn't me. Yep. Whatever. But next thing we know, the council is assembled to discuss Malcolm's fate. And we hear, well, he admitted to impersonating Jasper Dade. So, hello, he should be done. But Caper wants to hear what he has to say. Really? Why? Yeah. Just wondering why. But, okay, you're trying to be fair. I get it. So Felix leaves to bring the prisoner to the bridge, which we do see Garnett, by the way, looking very stressed out. Right. That he's going to be there. But when they arrive and open the door, Malcolm's already dead with his throat slit. So what? Yeah. We already know seven people died in the oxygen issue. So this is eight. And we started with, what, 150 people, I think they said? Yeah, somewhere around there, yeah. So we're creeping down. I guess that food's going to go a little further. (laughs) Very quickly. But the final shot, we see Garnett sitting in her quarters, crying while the camera pans out to show us Arc 1 in all of her glory. I also wonder, like, are they going to shoot him out of the airlock? Are they going to use him as fertilizer? I mean, what, right. what's going to yeah. happen? Yeah, there will be a discussion on what they do with the body. There's a lot going on in this first episode. Oh, uh, yes, there actually is <laughs> way more than we're even aware of yet. I feel like i got to watch it a couple more times to watch the little things like in the background to see what we're right. missing. Yeah. <laughs> 
But the one girl, the blonde, who was mad about the shower, like, okay, she's already seemed super entitled. Yes, absolutely. So it's like, did you buy your way onto the ship? What's going on? More than likely. It just seems like, yeah, we're going to be in for a crazy ride. Yep. At anything else you want to bring up about this episode? No, I just really think we're every episode's going to have a handful of reveals that you just you, your draw job drop. <laughs> what? What does this mean? And then it'll be another couple episodes before we find out what it actually meant. Starting to wonder how many people we're going to lose every episode. Yes. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 6 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com. Rate and review us on iTunes and any other platform you find us on. Because good ratings and reviews help other fans of the show find us. There's plenty of other podcasts out there. Not sure how many ARC podcasts since it's brand new. But we're hoping that we will be your number one podcast. So tell your friends and family. And we hope you're enjoying our podcast. And don't forget to check out all the great Fangirl Zone podcasts over at www.fangirlzone.com. And you can also find our contacts page there with all of the ways to get a hold of us. And we will always answer you, whether it's during the season or after, but hopefully during the season since this is episode one. So for this episode of Sci-Fi Talk, I'm Steve. Next month I turn 19 and four degrees, actually. I'm Sean Fangirl S. And until next time.